Good morning to you all who are joining us live. And for those of you who are here in person, uh, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, we are in a four-week series entitled Sexually Liberating the Black Church. Uh, last week, if you joined us, uh, we began uh, with our first installment, which was called Broken. Uh, today, uh, we are in our second segment, which is entitled Size Matters, the Objectification of Black Bodies. Uh, yeah, you heard me correct. It's it Size Matters, the Objectification of Black Bodies. And I know that is a catchy title and people probably can run with that uh, many, many ways. I'm also glad that uh, I have my sister joining me today. And I, after I speak to you for, for a few moments, I'll bring her up. Uh, but if you would, if you're if you're looking online uh, and, and those of you who are with us, um, feel free to stand or sit if you want to. Regardless, we're going to go to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Genesis chapter one. And I kind of want to set up um, the, the conversation that uh, my sister and I are going to have today. I won't be before you long. Uh, I literally mean that. But I want to set up this conversation uh, so that she and I can talk about some, some hard things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 in the New Living uh, Translation. And it says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them them. Verse 28 says this, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You may be seated. Size matters. Uh, the objectification of black bodies. God, we just thank you this morning. I ask that you would speak to us and that you would speak to those who are who are watching, uh, that you would uh, save somebody who is not in relationship with you, that you would liberate somebody who is in any kind of sexual bondage, uh, Lord God. And I ask that you would do it uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus name, we pray and thank you. Amen. Size matters. The objectification of black Body. So we see in the text that God, he gave male and female reign. He gave male and female reign over created things. Amen. And some translations, they read like this. Uh, I like this translation. That's good right there, Fred. It, it says, them have dominion. So NLT says rain uh, over created things. Uh, some translation read like this, Mike and Whitney, it, re it reads, them have dominion. Excellent. Them. Th them means a plurality, y'all. It it's a plurality in dominion. That they, they were having dominion together. That both genders, both male and female, both sexes had a plurality of rain. Both male and female, they were reigning 
together and there was only one race. It was the human race. Only one race, the human race, and they were responsible for being stewards over and caring for what belonged to God. Y'all with me? So, so that they're given this plurality of stewardship to reign together. Both, both sexes, both male and female are given responsibility to steward the earth, the created things, both of them, both male and female, and to do it together to care for what belonged to God. But sin did something. Last week, we knew that sin broke the way we see. Last week, we understood that something is broken. Our lens in which we see each other, see each other, creating the image of God is broken. That there, There's a broken lens in which we see each other, but it perverted our mind. It perverted our mind in how we think about reigning. I'm going somewhere. How, how we think about reigning. And it began to, uh, to create in our minds to think about reigning and dominion in forms of exploitation. Exploiting what God created. Exploitation, conquest, and control rather than caring for what belongs to God. Y'all with me? I'm going somewhere. So we see that sin... Because we have a perverted mind and exploit things that were created by God, that in turn affects how black bodies and brown bodies have been seen throughout America. So, so black and brown bodies throughout history have, have no longer been seen as humans, but as things without a soul. I'm going to prove it. Things, things without a soul. Uh, and one of the misnomers was that Africans and those of African descent had no soul, wouldn't it? That, that we have no soul. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you and I don't have a soul, then that means that we aren't human. And if we aren't human, we are a thing. And we treat things however we will to, however we want to treat things, correct? When I get tired of a thing, I get rid of it. I get bored of a thing, I, I replace it, right? A thing. Uh, in 1852, uh, the Reverend Josiah Priest was one of the people who promoted this lie about the soulless African. Josiah Priest, uh, the soulless African. And let me tell you, when I was reading this, I, I became angry. I was reading this last night. My heart just started beating. I, I, I got I, I was ticked off like real talk. I was I was upset. I had to bring, I had to, I had to, I had to do some breathing techniques. We're going to calm down right now, job. I had to talk to myself like I was outside looking in. I had to calm down because I'm reading something called the Bible defense of slavery. Huh? Josiah Prince wrote something. Reverend Josiah, white evangelical Josiah Prince wrote something called the Bible defense of slavery, Mike. The origin, fortune, and history of the Negro race, Dina. And this is what he said. He says, people, uh, yeah, they, 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 they see the institution of slavery as a sanction of almighty God. Yeah. He, he said, he says, he said, look, y'all, the institution of slavery. He said it was received as sanctioned from the almighty. He says slavery was established in wisdom and and has been wisely continued throughout all the ages. And he says it's been handed to us. Who was the us he was referring to? White men. 
He says, he said, this has been sanctioned by God Almighty. It has been handed down to us. He says, he says, in mercy, in wisdom, God wisely handed us the responsibility of slavery. He says, and the relation of master and servant harmonizes strictly the best interest of the inferior or African race in particular. So who is the inferior? Anybody not white male. So any female, white female, black female, Hispanic female, Latino female, Asian female, any female was inferior and every person of African descent in particular. He said, and the ability, the right to have slaves, he said, was given to us by God. He said, it's given to us by God. He said, it was taught over and over that black bodies were nothing more than soulless things. Inanimate objects used to satisfy the perverted desires of another. See, see, but if they had understood the Bible, they would have read on past chapter one, past chapter two and past chapter three. And they would have saw that the man and woman that God created was in a land called Cush. The land called Cush is what we call Ethiopia. My, my boy Earl Fisher has a church called Abyssinia. Abyssinian. Abyssinia is Ethiopia. It's Cush. Cushite. Dark folk. They didn't know their Bible, so they perverted it and made people think that dark was a curse of Ham and that dark was a curse from God and that we were soulless. So that's why I asked this question. It might seem awkward, but I got a question for you. Here's the question. Does size matter? Yes. Yeah, it matters. It, it did for auctioneers. Yeah. Auctioneers, you know what an auctioneer is, right? I go on once, go on twice, go on to 20, 20, 30, 30, 30, 40, 40, 50, 100, 100, 100, 30, 30, 30, 30. You know what auctioneers are, right? The, the auctioneers bid on black bodies forced to stand nude on auction blocks in front of capitalistic businessmen. Y'all, y'all stay with me. The, the, the size matter? Yes. When looking for the right size hands, uh huh. That are strong enough to pick cotton, chop tobacco, uh, chop sugar cane. The size matter. Yes. When certain black females were identified by the size of their hips rather than the size of the brain, labeling as labeling labeling them as good childbearing hips. Yes. The, the size matter. Yes. When, when black males were called studs because they were treated like breeding horses because of the size of their sexual vitality. Yes. Listen now. Listen, y'all. Listen, listen. Less. Yes, it matters because rape, pedophilia, incest and slave breeding could be justified by Americans because black bodies were considered as soulless objects. And we're going to set some folk free. Come on, y'all. Stay with me. Objectification of sex and sexuality unchecked has the potential to turn anyone into a perpetrator of sexual abuse. Y'all ain't know where I was going this morning. Yeah, and I'm going to say what I said before in part one, if you look at broken, whenever we fail to honor one another as the created image of God, we will not honor sex and sexuality either. 
If I don't honor you as created in the image of God, I will not honor your sex. I will not, uh, I will not honor sex. I will not honor your sexuality either. In May 19, I'm sorry, in May 1866, uh, there was a race riot that broke out here in Memphis, Tennessee. And, and y'all, y'all listen to me. A, a, 1866 race riot broke out in South Memphis. Here in Memphis, Tennessee, there's a guy named Stephen Ash, a historian. Uh, he's a white man himself. He, he, he wrote this. He, he reveals in his book called The Massacre in Memphis that reports of rape of at least five individuals were, dur- were done by white men who were white police officers forcing themselves into black folks' homes. It was at least five documented cases of rape. As these white men during a riot forced themselves into black homes. Huh? We, we got to call their names, right? We, we got to call their names. The first one is Rebecca Ann Bloom. Uh, Sister Harriet Armour. 16 year old teenager Lucy Smith. 24 year old pregnant Lucy Tibbs. And 26-year-old Francis Thomas, who identified, interestingly enough, as he, she. That ought to tell you something about the police officers in that day. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Ash states in his book that the emotional wounds infected in the DNA and inflicted on black Memphians by rioters were in many cases as agonizing and slow to heal as the physical wounds themselves. And and many of us in here and watching aren't sexually liberated because of the sexual wounds inflicted upon us. Uh Uh-huh. Somebody exposed you to porn too easy, too too early. somebody, Somebody touched you. Yeah. Somebody said something inappropriate to you at a young age or just a, a time in your life when you were feeling weak, sexually wounded. Huh? Maybe it was a family member, a spouse, an ex, an ex, whatever, ex man, ex woman, a neighbor, a babysitter, a teacher, a supervisor, law enforcement, authority, a preacher, a priest, somebody. And you've been tormented living in sexual bondage in silence, pretending that you're free when you're really bound. And in many cases, adding to the pain that you already feel. And I want to tell somebody that we are not merely objects of sex and sexuality. We are more. We are more. We are image bearers of the most high. We are more. Remember that sex and sexuality were created by God for God's glory and our pleasure. And when we pursue our pleasure above God's glory, shame is inevitable. We will inflict shame. We will walk in shame. We will will have a society filled with sexual shame. James Cone. He writes this in his book, The Cross. And the lynching tree. And I quote, he says, God's salvation is a liberating event. Ain't it, y'all? 
He says it's a liberating event in the lives of all who are struggling for survival and dignity in a world bent on denying their humanity. And I would say that that salvation, that liberation that James Cone is talking about, it ought to compel us as a church. As Christians, the body of Christ, it ought to compel us. That liberation, that salvation ought to compel us to fight for the sexual liberation of the abused in the abound, the, the bound up people uh, who can't fight for themselves. We ought to run to those powerless folk that can't run to us. We got to fight for people who are sexually bound, who want to be liberated, who do not have a voice. The church has got to fight to set people free. And here today with me is my sister, Whitney Trotter, to talk about some practical things we can do in this freedom discussion. Amen. Yeah, Tell amen. us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Whitney Trotter. I, I uh, originally from Austin, Texas, Come been on, in Memphis, Texas. Tennessee, 10 years. That's it. Uh, married to a wonderful, wonderful, uh, incredible man of God. Uh, my little baby girl is here. We see you, MJ. Um, so, yeah. And I, I have the privilege of in a unique background. So I am. Uh, one of the few dually licensed registered dietitians and nurses. That's good. Um, and I specialize in anti-trafficking and eating disorders. Y'all hear that? Anti-trafficking yeah. and eating disorders. Yeah. All right. How's that sound? Good brother. We rolling. Amen. Uh, so, so let me start like this, man. What, what are, uh, the, the age ranges uh, of black and brown, uh, individuals who are, who are trafficked? I'm so glad you asked that. So I was doing some research because there, what is really interesting about trafficking in the United States is we don't have clear numbers. Mm. And the reason we don't have clear numbers is because like you shared earlier, when you're, when America sees your part of history and your skin color as cattle, mm -hmm. it's easier to then allow the continued victimization of human trafficking yeah, 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 for it, black and brown see bodies. You as cattle. As cattle. So when we think about globally, human trafficking estimates about 40.2 million people worldwide. But then when you break that down and you try to figure out the racial demographics, this is where it gets very interesting. Hmm. So the average age into trafficking for boys is 11 to 13 and for girls, 12 to 14. Okay. Uh, 11 to 13? 11 to 13 for young boys, okay. 12 to 14 for girls. Now, now my daughter is 14 and she will be 15. Uh, in March. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is the average age of entry. Okay. Now, when you mm. think about racial demographics, this is what is really interesting in the state of Tennessee. Um, we have what's called safe, safe Harbor laws. So mm. that means anyone under 18 is considered a victim of human trafficking. You cannot be arrested. You cannot be tried for juvenile prostitution. That is not uh, the case for every state. Oh, man. So in a state like Ohio, if a juvenile is arrested 16 or 17, and they cannot prove that there was a trafficker or pimp, force, fraud, or corrosion, they're tried for prostitution. Wow. So in, in one statistic, I read 52% of all juveniles that are arrested for prostitution were African-American. 52%. Y'all hear that? Where are some of the places uh, that these uh, predators find these young people? So I would say, you know, pre-pandemic times, the mall 
Okay. Claire's, Rainbow, anywhere where young people hang out, community centers. Gotcha. Um, and I think there's a, a big misconception of what a trafficker looks like. And I think we, we've talked about this before. Synthonia Brown, you know, she made Breaking national down. news at 16 years old. Her pimp sold her to a trafficker who was a 43 year old white man who used to serve in the military. She was scared for her life. So she shot him. She ended up in jail. It wasn't until Kim Kardashian and Rihanna heard her story and all of the money was raised that the governor then decided to provide her with clemency. So she was 16. So, so sold to a 43 year old white man. So the people with power, entertainment power Mm -hmm. made some noise. Yes. Yes. That's good. Even though grassroots efforts were making noise for years. Years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the entertainment industry. And what's interesting is the governor, even after she was in jail, the governor of Tennessee created a human trafficking task force, which our organization sits on. Wow. Oh, that's good. <sighs> How does the misuse of their, their bodies sexually how does it affect them psychologically? What are some some of the long term effects? Well, you know, trauma is stored in our genes, right? And trauma is passed down in DNA. And so, our generation, we're used. There's so much trauma that's already stored in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And when we think about trafficking, um, most trafficking survivors, there's already been a history of abuse prior to the trafficking incident. Gosh. Not always, but usually there is. So their bodies and their mind are used to a certain level of external internal trauma. Um, we know that unprocessed trauma leads to heart disease, mm. leads to diabetes. Um, it can lead to somatic symptoms like GI distress. Oh, is it because we build everything up? We build when we hold all that tension in. Gotcha. Is that where you've seen some of the food disorders come into play? Or how, how do you? Yes, absolutely. So um, 50%, and this is a 10-year-old statistic. So there's an organization called the National Eating Disorder Association. They're getting a lot of backlash, uh, rightfully so, because they released a statistic 10 years ago that said 50% of teenagers who are African-American have bulimia, 50%. But that stat was 10 years ago, and they've done nothing to help increase accessibility for young black and brown kids. Why? Because eating disorders, when we think about eating disorders, we think stereotypically affluent white women. And that's what the research is. That's what eating disorder treatment is catered to. Um, and that's what, a lot, uh, honestly, a lot of the outreach and education is to affluent middle-aged white women. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Uh, I, I was thinking about how, how women are objectified. People, mm-hmm. period. But, but women... Uh, how is it that legislators can write laws um, controlling how a woman uh, decides to, 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 to do things with her body? Mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, a, a woman is raped. My child's raped. Yeah. Uh, you know, your niece, your, your aunt. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, man, I, I don't want to keep this baby. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not I'm not telling you what I'm for or against yeah. uh, as it relates to. Uh, you know what she should do mm-hmm. i am for her being able to speak for her body yes and absolutely. not legislators playing god absolutely you know so w- what have you kind of seen with work around there how, how does that affect what you do yeah absolutely we have so many conversations in our home about this because um so my backstory is i used to work at the rape crisis center so memphis has one of the only standalone rape crisis centers in the country mm. Um, which is very unique. 
What is interesting is I want to say about six or eight years ago, uh, me and a colleague was, uh, sat down and did all the stats. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Uh, so Memphis, on average, has eight to 900 just reported uh, assaults that come through the Rape Crisis Center. And again, this was five or six years ago. Then what we took from that number is we realized 80% of those knew the perpetrator. And then when you, then we broke it down by ages, 13 and under 90% of those knew the perpetrator. Mm. So, and at that time, that summer, I'll never forget it. This was again, five or six years ago, we had an uprising incest in Memphis city. So we had, I want to say that again, incest in Memphis city. When? Uh, five or six years ago. Okay. There were, there was a three week time span, Mm. six cases, six cases. Y'all hear that? I'm a nurse. So I've worked with kids that have come in that have been a byproduct of incest, the genetic abnormalities, everything. And so what I tell people is, especially people that are believers, it's not cut and dry. Come on now. It's not cut and dry. And then a second thing, I'll tell you this, this is still a law in Tennessee. If you, and I worked a case like this, if you are a woman and you're married and you are sexually assaulted and you become pregnant, if you decide to adopt, you have to have two male signatures. The alleged father and the presumed father. So a woman cannot, if she's sexually assaulted and is and is pregnant in the state of Tennessee, you can't just decide to adopt your baby. So and that, that's systemic injustice. That's systemic injustice. Yeah. Because I'll tell you another caveat is you also to get uh, qualify for uh, food stamps, Come government on. assistance, you have to have a male, you have to identify the father. Well, what if you don't want to press charges? What if you know the perpetrator? So what happens is when you are, again, assaulted and pregnant, there is a publication, there's a newspaper in Memphis, the alleged perpetrator, Tennessee is a conviction only state. You have to have a conviction to lose your rights. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you think about how the injustices of this, think about all the rape backlog kits. So if we're on a national, from years ago, if we're still on a national backlog and it's a conviction only state, that means if you know the perpetrator, he could, uh, there is a possibility that he or she still could still have access to the child. <coughs> and that's the things we don't talk about. Golly. Yeah. I'm jumping ahead. And what can we do? What can the church do? Yeah. You know, and I think it comes down to individual choice. And I think the church has to, no matter what the choice is, because there are women that want to keep their children rightfully. So let's stand beside them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in either case, let's not shame because it's hard. We're talking about the nine months of emotional turmoil of bringing life in. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of reports have you heard since being in this pandemic? Mm-hmm. You, you have kids that can't leave. Yes. You know, they're, they're sexual prison. Yeah. Um, not even just kids, women, men yeah, who are absolutely. trapped. Um, <laughs> you know, they wish they could go to the store longer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, what have you been hearing? So um, there is a recent report that came out from Polaris Project that does a phenomenal job of research. And what they said was COVID, just like trafficking, um, it's hitting communities of color hardest. It's hitting communities of color the hardest. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Why do you think um, black and brown people are targeted? Mm. That's a really good question. And it's one I get a lot of. I personally think because 
when you, there is an obsession with black and brown bodies. You better talk. It's a, there's an obsession. Yeah, yeah. And when you, when our, again, when you talk about the transatlantic slave trade, there was permission to objectify black and brown That's bodies. Right. So we're not seeing on, when we talk about survivors and victims on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. That's why you can have thousands of young girls in DC go missing and nobody acts. That there was a, a painter who's an artist from New Orleans and he drew this, this painting of this this black woman coming in from off the sea. Mm-hmm. It was a play on the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. And that she was coming in, she had all these seraphim and floating around her. Yeah. And she was coming in in this in this painting as a sexual object for all the men to have their way. Yeah. And, and this is the image that they were seeing of this black voluptuous woman in this yes. painting. Yes. And I'm going to send it and I don't, I don't have my phone with me right now, but I'm going to send it for those of that are interested. And they did that. And what was interesting when uh, we talk about colonialization, they used to portray around a black voluptuous woman and put her on display mm-hmm. from country to country to country. And that is how white settlers started equating black Come with on. unhealthy and fat with unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And then the men the way they were able to to lynch the men is they called them violent rapist beast yep because they were trying to protect their white women yep ah you know i'm i'm really been wrestling with this whole liberation the sexual liberation and people they jump to all these assumptions when they see that title because they they didn't know where we're going with this series i i want to address several issues around sexuality. Yeah. Uh, I want this to be a, a holistic discussion. Uh, if, if you all are watching, what we're going to do is we're going to continue this conversation later on at, at 2 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, and you all can can join us as we elaborate some more on these, on these questions and some of the dialogue that we had today. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for joining with us. If you all want to give, uh, you can go to our our website and you can hit Givelify or PayPal if you want to sow into the work that we're doing in the Whitehaven community uh, and in the Memphis city, uh, if you feel led there. Um, if you're interested in joining this church, uh, you can push the interested tab that is on the website as well. Uh, I want to pray for all of you who are watching. God, we just thank you for our viewers. We, we, we thank you in advance for those who will be liberated through this series. And Lord God, we thank you for those who will join us later on. Uh, as we go live, Lord God, so we can answer some questions and deal with uh, some more tough issues and dig a little deeper. Uh, It is in your name that we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 